Good morning, Bryansburg. It is good to see you today. I hope that you've had a great week, had opportunities to be able to have gospel conversations and talk to people about the Lord. And we're here for one reason this morning, and that is to worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're excited to be together for that one purpose. For this morning, if you're joining us through television or through Facebook Live, we want to welcome you as well. I'm Brother Brad Walker. I'm the pastor here at Brownsford Baptist Church. So glad to have you with us. And if you're there on Facebook Live, there in the comment section, if you put your name there, we'd love to know who is worshiping with us. And if you have any prayer needs, let us know that as well. And we'd love to be able to pray with you today as well. For this morning, if this is your first opportunity to be with us here at Brinesburg, we want to welcome you. So glad to have you in worship with us. And you'll notice there in the pew in front of you, there is a card. And uh, if you would, take that out and, and fill it out for us and put it in the offering plate on that large round table in the foyer as you're leaving today. And that helps us to know of your attendance, but more important to us is the opportunity that gives us to pray for you and to be able to minister to you and your family. And so we are very glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, this morning, uh, we are thinking about Veterans Day this week. And so if you are a veteran, would you please stand for us today? We want to thank these men and women for their service. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you for your sacrifice. And we recognize that it is our veterans who have uh, purchased for us the freedoms that we have. And we recognize that freedom isn't free. And we thank you. We thank you for your service. Uh, this morning we have a lot going on. I hope you have read your bulletin, see those things that pertain to you. Uh, we do have our choir rehearsals uh, that are very important as we have a very short period of time before our Christmas uh, cantata. And so we need everybody here for every one of those rehearsals. And so please remember that. Also notice our shoebox uh, donation times and the times that you can be here to uh, sign up and help as we will once again this year be a, a drop-off spot for the other churches in our area. And so if you'd like to sign up in the foyer and help with that week of, of uh, drop-off, we would appreciate that very much. Also, our students are going to be doing the operate or the uh, angel tree shopping for the kids in our own community who uh, need some help with Christmas. Our church has 10 of those children, and so our youth will be doing that shopping on November the 30th, and notice that that'll be from 5.30 to 8, meet here at the church, and then they'll be back here by 8 o'clock, so you see those things that pertain to you. We do have many on our prayer list and certainly do want to remember all those uh, that are listed there. Also, today is a time of, of prayer for our persecuted church around the world and certainly want to remember those who do not have the same freedoms as us when it comes to worship, the same freedoms as us when it comes to being able to share the gospel in the public square. And so we want to pray for them as well. Uh, I think we have a one-minute video uh, pertaining to our Operation Christmas Child, and we'll show that, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer together. Three, two, one! And when those lids come off those boxes, you have never seen such pure joy. This is amazing, as you can see. The children's faces, they are excited as they open up the gifts for the first time. What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift. This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just the child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship through lifting up our hearts and our voices. Lord, the opportunity to come before you and to spend time in the study of your word. Lord, to know that as we pray that you hear us. And Lord, this morning as we come before you, we recognize that we have freedoms and, and we have opportunities that so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ do not have around the world. Those who are part of the persecuted church and Lord, who have to have underground services, who have to share in, in ways where uh, the government doesn't know so that they can be able to take the gospel to their neighbors. And so, Lord, I just pray that you might watch over your church, Lord, protect her, Lord, for those men and women, boys and girls who, who are living in, in those parts of the world, Lord, uh, use them in a powerful way. Lord, we thank you for the growth of the church, even in those areas where uh, there is not freedom. Lord, we thank you for the fact that the gospel continues continues to reach those who so desperately need it lord this morning we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be able to share the gospel in a variety of different ways and one of those ways being to put a shoebox together but not just so that a child can can get a small gift which is a nice thing in, in the moment but more importantly so that the gospel can be shared with them so they get the good news that you love them that you went to the cross that you died for their sins and that you rose again and that they can know you in a personal way no matter where in the world it may be that they live. Lord, this morning we lift up those within our, our own church and within our community, Lord, that uh, are, are experiencing health difficulties. Lord, lay your healing hand upon them. We have many that are out right now because of that. Uh, but more importantly, we pray for those who are lost. Lord, we pray for each and every one of us, our one that we know doesn't yet know you as Savior and Lord, whether that be uh, someone young or someone old. Lord, give us the opportunity, even this week, to be able to have a gospel conversation with them. Lord, now as we continue in this time of worship, have your will, have your way, speak to our hearts as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship together. I worship you, almighty God. There is
this morning as we come to our opening time of prayer and time here at the altar. I know many of us may have a variety of different things on our hearts, issues on our hearts. Uh, most importantly, praying for those that the Lord's laid on our heart to share the gospel with. Uh, but also we think about this week, um, this, this week on Tuesday, uh, we have the opportunity, we have the, the freedom to be able to go and to vote and to select our leaders and to make decisions for our own communities and our state and our nation. And so uh, we want to pray that the Lord might lead and guide us as we make those important decisions and that we might not just think about what's best for us, but what the Lord would have us to do, uh, who he would have us to vote for, the decisions that he would have us to make. And so this morning as we bow our heads here in a moment, uh, let, let's spend that time uh, really focusing our hearts and asking the Lord to move and to work within our community and state and nation in that way. And so whatever the need may be, uh, we want you to know the altar is open at this time. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's spend some time in prayer together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we do thank you that you're the God who knows our every need. Lord, you know the physical needs in our lives. Lord, you know the relational and emotional needs in our lives. Lord, you know the, the physical need financially uh, to be able to, to provide for ourselves and our families. And Lord, the stresses that come when, when those things are, don't seem to be uh, going as we think that they should. And Lord, we just trust you. Lord, we place it all in your hands. But most importantly, we pray for the lost. We pray for those around about us who do not yet know you as Savior and Lord. And that you would move as only you can and then give us a boldness to go and to share the gospel. And Lord, as we think about this coming week and we think about what's going to be taking place within our community and our state and our nation on Tuesday, Lord, we again, we thank you for those who have fought and bled and even died. Lord, that we might have these freedoms to be able to select our leaders, to be able to make decisions in our communities. And Lord, we pray that you might give us insight, give us wisdom as we go and as we cast those votes. Lord, I, I pray that you might watch over our community. Lord, that you might watch over our state and our nation. And Lord, that we might have godly leaders, that we might make godly decisions for our communities. Lord, that the gospel might go and it might reach those who so desperately need to know you as Savior and as Lord. So now as we continue to sing and then as your word is proclaimed, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and Lord, as we leave this place, that we would know that we have met with you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's never forget that in all things, all things, our God reigns. Let's stand together as we sing. This song, Our God Reigns. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. Good news. Announcing peace. Bye. 
Amen. Thank you, Nadia and Patrick and Ricky. What a wonderful time of worship. That was some good singing this morning. Always appreciate that. And this morning as we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, thankful to be back together for another time of worship and the study of God's Word. Thankful the Lord has blessed us with a church family and a wonderful place to gather like he has. Excited about what God's going to say to us this morning. As you turn in there to Genesis chapter 4, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for yet another opportunity to enter into a time of worship and to know that you hear us when we pray. 
Lord, to know that you respond to us, Lord, to know that as we open up your word that you're going to teach us, Lord, that you're going to encourage us and correct us, Lord, you're going to give us what we need to hear today, and Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the access that we have to your word, and Lord, today I pray that you would speak in a powerful way, Lord, to the lost that are here and maybe watching on television or on Facebook Live, that they might hear and they might respond to the gospel, but also that we as your church might hear. And that, Lord, we might understand what you're saying to us about the generation in which we live, the times in which we live. And, Lord, the urgency that there is to be able to share the gospel for the lost and the dying world that so desperately needs to hear. And so, Lord, today I pray that you might hide me behind the cross, that only you'd be seen, that only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know that some of you, when you ask me if I can do something or be somewhere on a particular day, Sometimes you chuckle a little bit because I always have to get this out and I have to look on the calendar and I'll say, okay, yes, I can do that at a particular time uh, because calendars are kind of important to us, aren't they? Now, I know not all of you use a calendar on a phone or uh, not all of you use an electronic device for that. Some of us write things down on the calendar, but we like to know what's going on in our life and, and many times we have to do that. We have to go consult the calendar to see what's going on, to see if if we're going to be available, if we'll be able to do certain things at a certain time. And we see that the Lord has given us kind of a calendar. He's given us an opportunity to, to see what's going on in, in his time. And if you've noticed, I don't know if you've looked around lately, I don't know if you've turned on the news or, or read in a newspaper or, or read in whatever online news that you go to, but we are living in perilous times. We're living in a difficult age. Just this week, we had a man break into the home of a congresswoman and attack her husband with a hammer. That's crazy stuff. That's what's going on in the world that we live in. Two weeks ago, there was yet another school shooting, this time in St. Louis. And yet we've also seen the last few weeks, and the last couple months even, all the court cases of past school shootings because this has become an ep ep epidemic within our society but also within our very community. We're living in perilous times. On Tuesday, we're going to be voting on an amendment. We have to make an amendment to our Constitution just to make it clear that there is not a right to kill unborn children in our state. We have to speak to that and we have to tell the state that we don't want that any longer and tragically I'm afraid probably even this morning some of you think that's a political statement it's not it's just God's word tells us not to kill our unborn children today more children are growing up in single parent homes than two parent homes because the family has been destroyed internationally there are countries invading other countries killing innocent people because they want whatever the natural resources are of the other country we're living in perilous times. We've seen numerous natural disasters, even just in the past year. Everything from tornadoes and flooding within our own state to droughts and even hurricanes down south. And we see that before Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, he painted a very clear picture of what the world would be like as the end of time approached. How we could tell what, it, what day it was where we were on his prophetic calendar. He pre presents this very vivid picture. He lays out a clear blueprint for the end of the age, and he told us that we could know that the end was near 
when there were certain characteristics that you could look around and see those things going on and you could begin to know where you were on his prophetic calendar. And in, in Matthew chapter uh, 24, verses 1 through 8, he makes it very clear. And Jesus went out and he departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to shew him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered, and he said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places, and all these things are the beginning of sorrows. So while these verses have a primary interpretation to events that are going to take place during the tribulation period, we see these things beginning to take place even before Jesus comes for his church at the rapture. So what does that have to do with us? What does it have to do with us as Brinesburg Baptist Church in 2022? And why am I bringing this up in the midst of a study in the book of Genesis? Well, the answer lies in Matthew chapter 24, 37, or 34, 37 through 39, and then in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 27. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 37, Jesus says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That is echoed again in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26 and going through verse 27. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat and they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus made a crystal clear comparison between the days that we just read about and how things will be before he returns for his church. And so this morning, I want us to take some time and examine the biblical record of the days of Noah. And if we will take the time to look seriously at the way the world was then, and then to also consider how the world is today, we'll see some very clear parallels between our world and theirs. And by observing the characteristics that prevailed in Noah's day, we can determine whether or not those same days, like the days of Noah, are here again. And if they are, then we need to be ready. As Luke chapter 21, verse 28 reminds us, for our redemption draweth nigh. So I wanted to ask the question, are these the days of Noah? Are these the days of Noah again? So let's look at the evidence that is given here and observe the characteristics that prevailed in those days and see where we are on God's prophetic calendar. What characterized their culture and where are we today? 
So first of all, those days were characterized by perversion. Look at verses 1 through 15. We see last week that Cain and Abel both came to God and they both came with an offering. And yet we see that Cain's was a bloodless offering. It was a bloodless religion. In other words, Cain believed that he could come any way he wanted to to the Lord. He believed that it didn't matter what he offered. He'd just come and he would give whatever he wanted to give. And God could either take it or leave it. Cain ignored the, the, the plain mandate that had been ordained by God himself. Back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. That proper sacrifice involved blood because it painted the picture that there was a sacrifice that had to be made. The innocent for the guilty. Which pointed to the cross. Which pointed to the coming of the Messiah. His offering didn't do that. And so this same mentality abounds in our world today. In 2 Timothy 3.5, Paul echoes this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. We are living in days of widespread apostasy. We think about the celebrities today who claim to have religion, who claim to have a quote-unquote spiritual background about them but we see that they preach nothing but a self-help philosophy. They speak of God or the Spirit as being a force in their life. Clearly, they've watched too much Star Wars, uh, but it's just a force around them. Sadly, the same idea prevails in many churches today, that spiritual life is just a force. It's just something that we feel. What's more tragic is the fact that so many people are swallowing this social psychology of of gospel of it being health and wealth and whatever makes you feel good they're swallowing a hook line and sinker but also secondly we see that these days were characterized by prosperity look with me at genesis chapter 4 verse 20 and adah bare jabal and he was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle you say well brother brad why is that important well, we see here that Jabal was the first to practice domestication of animals. And so now men no longer had to hunt and scrounge for their food. They could literally stay in one place and they could raise their food. And that allowed people to have more than they needed, to have excess. It was a time of material prosperity, and Jabal cornered the market on it. And despite rampant inflation that we are saying today, we are still enjoying unprecedented prosperity here in America. In fact, the median income of, of an American family of four in 2021 was $70,824. Now, if you ask people around the world, does that make you rich? The answer would be absolutely it does. It makes you rich. And so people say that they are broke and they don't have any money, but then you go to Walmart or you go to Dollar General and you see people are doing nothing but spending. Uh, you see that people go online to all those different uh, online websites where you can buy this, that, and the other. And we're spending money, we're spending money, we're spending money. Everyone is spending. These are days when we as Americans have more than enough. But thirdly, we see that those days were characterized by pleasure. Look at verse 21 of Genesis chapter 4. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all such as handle the harp and the organ. It was characterized by pleasure. 
This man's name was Jabal, and Jabal invented musical instruments, and therefore we kind of think about that as entertainment, so kind of the birth of the entertainment industry. Because we now had more than enough, we no longer had to spend all of our time hunting and going out and just finding enough to live on. There was leisure time, and therefore there was time for an entertainment industry. There was time to sit down and enjoy those kind of things. Now, there is no denying the fact that we are living in a pleasure-seeking world. This past summer, the movie Top Gun Maverick grossed $1.4 billion dollars in worldwide ticket sales. In fact, Americans spent an astounding $14 billion on just movies last year, on just movies. And so that doesn't count all of the music and and all of the uh, sports and all of the hobbies and other things that we do for pleasure here in our country. We spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on entertainment. We are a pleasure-mad society. But fourthly, we see Those days were characterized by progress. Look with me at verse 22 of Genesis chapter 4. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer of brass and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamoth. And so what we see here in in verse 17, uh, he says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And so we see here a man named Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain discovered and he learned how to extract metal from ore and he invented the smelting industry, which was incredibly important to progress because this allowed men to produce stronger farm implements and far more formidable ornaments and so verse 17 there talks about the rise of cities for the first time people are gathering in one place and they're beginning to live in one one smaller area known as a city those days preceding the flood were marked by scientific and engineering advancements they were able to do things that you might not think about uh, them being able to do they had great great abilities even in the area of technology One of those areas is in the building of the ark. Turn with me over to chapter 6 briefly. And in verses 14 through 16, we see what the ark was was like. This was an incredible structure. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shall be thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits and the height of it 30 cubits a window shalt thou make to the ark and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower second and third stories shalt thou make it this was a absolutely huge vessel i don't know if any of you have been to northern kentucky to the exact replica of the ark but when you go and you consider what was built by Noah and his family it is astounding it is astounding to think that they were able to build such a huge vessel the plans were handed down by God yes but the building had to be done by men 
That kind of achievement required a tremendous amount of technology and, and technical thought, but also of know-how. These were people of advanced knowledge. You know, these weren't just some cavemen sitting in a, in a cave, you know, drawing stick people on the wall. There was a lot of advancement in this time. There are many inventions and many advancements that could be mentioned that clearly reveal how we have progressed as a society and as a culture today, especially in the scientific areas and the areas of engineering, as well as in other areas of human life. Advancements in the medical field alone are beyond belief of the kind of things that they can do today. They can poke a few holes and do major surgeries that used to require them opening you up and being in a hospital for, for days, if not weeks at a time. And all those are outpatient surgeries. It's amazing. Um, we think about in, in the area of, of space travel uh, and Atlas V rocket from United Launch Alliance kicked off a string of launches from Cape Canaveral this past Tuesday, delivering satellites into space. That's just become kind of a common occurrence now. Uh, we don't even think about it like we used to because it happens so often. But one of the great feats of science in recent years, I believe, is the Voyager 2 mission to Saturn. Uh, that spacecraft was loaded with all kinds of delicate scientific instruments, uh, such as radio receivers and cameras and cosmic ray detectors, and it could measure ultraviolet, infrared, and visible light. It could detect electric and magnetic fields. And the spacecraft left the Earth and headed for Saturn, traveling at 54,000 miles per hour. That's pretty fast. 54,000. That is 20 times the speed of a bullet, if you, if you want to count, okay? That's fast. And it traveled for four years across 1.24 billion, with a B, miles. And when it arrived at its destination, it was only off 41 miles from its target, from its precise target. And it was only a mere three seconds late after traveling for that distance and for that long. So it's safe to say that we are living in a time of unprecedented human advancement. And if you look at those days of Noah, you might be led to believe that humanity was doing quite well. They were prosperous. They were developing a complex culture, complete with great cities, with art, with the ability to sustain life in one's place. They were advancing in the fields of agriculture and metalworking and art and music and, and science and engineering. And yet for all of their advancements, for all that they had grown and been able to do, they did not know God. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you today. In the midst of everything that we can do as a society and as a culture, you look around and it is evident that as a culture at large, we do not know God. Our society is advancing at an amazing rate in a yearly, monthly, and even daily Mankind has chosen a path that leads him ever further away from the Lord. So fifth, we see those were days characterized by polygamy. Look at verse 23. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zelah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Here we meet a man named Lamech. 
and we're told that he married two women. He is the first person in the record of humanity who took clear steps to undermine the home and the family as God had designed it. God set the standard. God's standard is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Lamech was the first to pervert God's standard for marriage. He was the first. So it was a time marked by lust and wanton disregard for God's will and open sin, open perversion, seeing what God had called us to do and doing the opposite. And sadly, Lamech would not be the last. For we see in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, we're told that there was an intermingling here of the godly line of Seth with the cursed reprobate line of Cain, and it produced a generation of men. It says that we were giants, who were men of renown, basically what we have is a generation of, of demon-possessed men who dominated that society for their own pleasure and for their own profit. Marriage, as the Bible defines it, or as God defines it, is under attack today. The traditional family is being challenged by media, being redefined as whatever you want it to be in whatever context you want it to be in. No longer is marriage even considered. By many couples, they merely live together if it is convenient for both parties. But also we see, six, that those were characterized by pride. Look at verse 24. He says, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Why is that verse important? Lamech de declares his value to be far greater than the value of his ancestor Cain. That he is far greater. He set himself up as, as being the end all, be all of life. He is the first real humanist. He sees himself as number one and he believes that all his actions are right. His name means powerful and he lived as if all power resided within him. And if you look at the name of Cain's offspring... In verses 17 and 18, you notice that some of those names include the, su the suffix of El, E-L. Now, that is a name that is given, and it means God. Basically, it refers to him as the God of creation, or of, of God in a general sense. So then comes the name Mihujel. It literally means the blot out jaw is God. In other words... They paid God lip service for a little while. But this is the day that came finally where they wanted God out of their lives. God has been blotted out is literally what they named their child. They wanted to live as though he did not exist. And we're living in days just like that today. When I hear politicians invoking the name of God and then speaking of abortion as a human right and sex same-sex marriage is some noble achievement, you realize that we are living in the days of Noah right here and right now. They want to pay God lip service, but they do not want him involved in their affairs or the affairs of the world around them. They'll say, I'm a politician first, and then I'm a good whatever they say they are, whether it be Catholic or Baptist or 
Lutheran or Methodist or whatever it may be, oh, yes, I'm this, if I'm looking for church people to vote for me, but then I don't want it to, to, to affect anything that I do when I make decisions. So if there was ever a day when men did that which was right in their own eyes, it's the day in which we are currently living. Men have no regard for the word of God. They do not fear the Lord. They live as they want to live without thought of heaven to gain or hell to shun. So the battle cry of our day is don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me about absolute truth. Don't tell me that there's an absolute right and an absolute wrong. I'll do as I please and I'll answer to no one. People refuse to bow to the authority of God or to his word and they walk in pride of life. There is no fear for God before their eyes. But then seventh, we see that these days were characterized by pollution. We see that in chapter 6. And we see it from verses 1 through verse 13. And it began with social pollution. Look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 6. Verses 5 and 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it repented the lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart those verses reveal the moral and social climate of the days of noah it was a time when men did as they pleased without thought for the welfare or the property of others murder as a crime was was rampant in that society of course, when men throw off God and when they throw off his restraining influence, they will de degenerate into the depths of depravity and wickedness. That is where we are today. We're in a time when people don't want to hear about God. They don't want to think about what God's will would be. Think about this. The latest research, the latest research tells us that in America, a murder is committed every 33 minutes a woman is sexually assaulted or raped every 68 seconds a house is robbed every 26 seconds things are not getting better they are getting worse on a daily basis we have told a generation that there is no god that there is no heaven that there is no hell that you are just to live for today and if there is no god then there is no standard of right and wrong. And if there is no God, then man is the product of random chance and evolution. And therefore, he can do as he pleases. We're just a higher evolution of animal. And that's what we have told the current culture. But also we see sexual pollution here. It was a time of unequal yoke in, in marriage we see there in, in verses 1 through 4. Tolerance of evil and, and wicked lifestyles is seen. In fact, the bloodline of humanity had become so tainted and polluted, we're told that only Noah was considered to be pure in that generation. Only he was seen by God as being righteous. Sexual purity and morality have gone the way of the horse and buggy today. Sex is no longer reserved for marriage as God intended, but now it's seen as recreational and casual. Virginity is no longer seen as a precious gift to be cherished and preserved for one's life mate, but it's seen as a commodity that can be traded for affection, acceptance, and pleasure. You just look at our society, and it's easy to see that we are a people who are obsessed with sex. Look at the increase that we see in child molestation. Look at the rise in pornography that is 
claiming so many families in our society. Things that used to be done in dark back rooms are talked about in whispers. Today they are done openly. Smut that used to only be seen in the dark places is now flaunted on social media and billboards and television and the movies. Our innocence has been stolen. Just look for something innocent on the internet, and if it's typed in just slightly wrong, the things that come up. Traditional values and morality are under increasing attack in our day. We see that same-sex relationships are not merely tolerated, but they've been promoted as an alternative lifestyle. And woe to the person who would speak against it. There is no doubt that we are living in dark days, and the days are getting darker by the hour. But also it was a a time of spiritual pollution. Look at verse 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. It tells us that men had corrupted his ways upon the earth. Men had turned from worship of the one true and living God to embrace the occult. They worshiped Satan and his lies, and they shunned the truth of the Lord. And the same is true today. Just look at people's absolute obsession with supernatural stuff. You go to a bookstore, and you look, look in, in the sections about spirituality, and it's not Christian books. It's books on the occult. It's books on witchcraft. It's, it's books on, on demonic religion and, and Satanism. It's, it's penetrated our culture at a frightening level. But what should we expect? Man is a religious being, and we are going to worship something or someone. He's created us in that way. And when God is removed from the culture, he will be replaced with satanic counterfeits on every side. It has always been that way. That's what Paul tells us there in Romans chapter 1, verses 20, 18 through 28. So we see the Canaanites set the moral and spiritual temperature of that age. Those who did not know God were, were dominant. They controlled public opinion. They decided what was and what was not in or out. With, whereas the Sethites, those who knew the Lord and had a relationship with the Lord, seemed to have very little voice in that society. And it is much the same way currently. The world which, for the most part, has turned its back on God, sets the moral and spiritual tone for our society. We're told what we are to accept and what we are to shun, not by people who know the Lord, but by people who shun the Lord. They pay lip service to the Lord, but they deny him the love and devotion and worship that he deserves. So I wonder, have the days of Noah arrived again? Can you see the signs of the times around us, where we are on the calendar. I get the feeling that if we were to get in a time machine and we were to go back to the days of Noah, we would look around and it would look very, very familiar to the days in which we are now living. But I don't want to close the message on a negative note. No, because there's great hope. Even in that dark day, God still had his man and God was still working in a miraculous way. He was still moving in grace to redeem the lost in that world just as he is in this one. God was still working to bring things to conclusion, a conclusion that would honor him just as he is in our day. Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up thy heads for your redemption draweth nigh. You see, when he said that, he was referring to those who would be living during the tribulation. But he's telling those people that he is coming again. 
And when he does, that he will make things as they ought to be. He will straighten out the mess in the world. He will make it right again. But let me just remind you that before he comes in, in power and in glory to establish his kingdom here on earth, that he will first come in the clouds for his bride, the church, during the rapture. That he will take us home. This world is ripe for judgment. And if that is true, then it's about time for us to make our trip to glory. So if I were you this morning, if I were you, I would make sure that I was saved. I would make sure that I have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because we're not promised another year, another month, another week, another day. We're not promised another moment. Right now, today is the day of salvation. I'd cut as many ties with this world and love for this world as I possibly could because he's coming and we're going. And the question comes, are you ready? And so this morning as... Our musicians come. You're going to have the opportunity here in just a moment. If you don't yet have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to him. You're going to have an opportunity to enter into a relationship with Christ. And how do you do that? You simply repent of your sin, meaning you turn away from your sin, and you turn to Christ. And as you do that, you accept what Christ has done. You don't try to work your way to him. You don't try to be, uh, turn over a new leaf and be better. But you accept what he has already done at the cross of Calvary. You accept him by faith, and he tells us that if we'll do that, that we shall be saved. If you need to do that today, I invite you to come here in just a moment and say yes to Jesus. But maybe you need to come to this altar, and maybe you need to be praying for a loved one. Maybe you need to be praying for somebody you work with, for, for somebody you go to school with, because you know that they're not ready. And if the day draws nigh, if the day of our Lord's return is drawing closer every single second, then we need to be serious about sharing the gospel with those around us. We need to be praying for family. We need to be praying for friends, for coworkers, for classmates, for neighbors. Because he has given us the opportunity to share. The calendar says the day is coming. And it's coming quickly. Are you ready? And have you shared with those who are not? Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, I thank you for your great love for us. And I thank you for the fact that you saw fit to come after us. To live in this world and to experience everything that we've experienced yet without sin, to go to the cross of Calvary and to die in our place. And you were dead and buried in a tomb for three days, but Lord, thank you that you did what only you could do, and you arose from that grave victorious. And so, Lord, today I know I've got some friends. I've got some friends here right now, and they know they're lost. They know they don't yet have a relationship with you. And I pray that you would make that clear to their hearts. Help them to repent of sin, turning away from it, and help them to come to you by faith and to believe on you. Lord, do the work that only you can do. As much as, as I and, and others would love to, to save them, we can't do it. Only your Holy Spirit can move in their hearts and cause that to take place. So, Lord, today, Lord, today we pray that this will be the day of salvation for many. To your honor and to your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, would you come?